good to see you. By the way, there was a little boy in church, and the pastor was trying to preach, and the little kid was acting up, and he kept going on and on, and he was very disruptive, and finally his mother leaned over to him and whispered something, and the pastor was awestruck because the boy just went silent. So after the service, he went to the mother, and he said, I have to know, what in the world did you tell that boy to make him go from being so rowdy to so quiet? She said, well, I told him that you were long-winded, and if he didn't be quiet, you'd lose your place and have to start all over again. <laughs> so sometimes that works, doesn't it? Another elderly woman came into the church, a little country church, and she walked in, and one of the ushers went to greet her, and he said, ma'am, where would you like to sit? She said, I'd like to go all the way up front. He said, I don't know if you want to do that, ma'am. She said, well, I do. I want to go all the way to the front. He said, well... Between me and you, the pastor is really boring. I wouldn't do that if I were you. I'd sit back here in the back. She said, excuse me, do you know who I am? He said, no, ma'am. She said, I'm his mother. <laughs> and he said, well, ma'am, do you know who I am? She said, no. He said, good. <laughs> it's amazing what goes on in church, isn't it? Divine appointments is what we're going to talk about today, so take God's Word and find Acts chapter 8. Acts is a very interesting book to give you a quick summary. As you know, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, some parts in John, tell about the life and the story of Jesus. Well, then you get over into the New Testament, and you get into books like Romans, you get into 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, Philippians... You get over into different types of books. What is the bridge between Matthew, Mark, and Luke and Colossians and Ephesians and Philippians and Romans and those books? What is the bridge that tells you the gap between the Gospels and the New Testament epistles? That is where the book of Acts comes in. As a matter of fact, you really can't understand Philippians or any of those books unless you go back in the book of Acts and you read where they were founded Paul tells this story, Luke writes the story, Paul's often involved in these, of how these churches began, and then the epistles explain them. So Acts is like a transitional bridge between the Gospels and the epistles. And Acts is not a book that explains to us what is happening today, per se. It explains the transitional period from the time the church began, after the death of Christ, and then where it ended up in the epistles of the day. So it's an explanatory book. But during this time, Jesus explains that he's leaving. He's going to give his spirit to his people, and they are going to be his witnesses. Remember how he starts it geographically in Jerusalem? And then they're going to expand out into Judea and Samaria, and ultimately they'll go to the ends of the earth. And Zach read that passage this morning that Jesus makes a promise that I will be with you all the way to the end of this age. We know this is the church age. This is why it's called the Great Commission. We are working with God to share with people the message of eternal life through the person of Jesus Christ. And this is our responsibility. We're on mission with Him. So as you transition through the book of Acts, you get chapters 2, 3, 4, you start seeing the church be very comfortable and they're very happy in Jerusalem. Well, what does God allow to get the church out of its comfort zone? That's right, persecution. The first martyr, his name was Stephen, was stoned 
in Acts chapter 6 and 7. And after that, we get to this part in chapter 8, which I did not put on the screen for you, but I'm going to read to you. What happens after Stephen is stoned? Look in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul, we would know him as the Apostle Paul, approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made very great lamentations over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. What you're going to see in Acts chapter 8 are some divine appointments. God used the Apostle Paul, here known as Saul, to persecute the church in such a way that he pushed them out of their their bounds and they started to spread. And then Jesus, as only he can do, is going to miraculously appear to Saul and rename him Paul in Acts chapter 9. And Paul will be the great missionary evangelist for the church. Isn't it amazing how God works? But in between this story of Jesus, that's somebody's alarm, in between this story of Jesus' departure and giving this command for the church to go and Paul persecuting them to Paul's salvation, there is a miraculous divine appointment given to us in Acts chapter 8 about how God saved this Ethiopian eunuch. Very, very interesting story. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 8, verse 26. I put it on the screen for you, and I'll work my way through the passage. Then we're going to learn some very important lessons from this for our life today. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. Now, do you all know what an Ethiopian or what a eunuch is? I'm going to explain to those of you who weren't raised on a farm what a eunuch is. On a farm, if you want to take a bull and turn him into a steer so that his attention goes from uh, his natural bent into becoming a T-bone steak, you, you ban them. Okay, because it has a way of causing them to just to want to eat and not to chase. The same thing was done during these days in court officials. They would take these people who would work in their court and to ensure that they would not get into any kind of mischief, uh, they were banded and therefore became a eunuch. Uh, Okay, y'all are looking at me very seriously. Look it up if you don't believe me, okay? That's what they did. And so this court official was banded, and he was a treasurer, okay? So he is now, according to this passage, he was on his way to Jerusalem to worship. Now, if you went back in the Old Testament and you wanted to find out who came from the Ethiopian region, do you remember the the woman's name who came to meet Solomon? to see his glory, and actually brought him all kinds of treasures and gifts. The queen of, somebody said it, I heard it. Sheba, the queen of Sheba. Okay. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. 
And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? Now don't you wish all people were that honest? It's interesting when we read the Bible, we all know what it says, don't we? It's, it's refreshing when you find somebody that says, I have no idea what that means. Can you tell me? How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. Just a couple of comments before I go on. Back in this day, there weren't iPhones. There weren't codexes. You know, this is called a codex. It's a book, a bound book with leaves. There were no books. There were only scrolls. There was no printing press at this time. For anybody to get a copy of Scripture, it had to be handwritten. And for this to take place, there was uh, all kinds of processes people had to go through, and they were very expensive. Most Scriptures during this time were on an animal skin that had been dried and rolled. Some were on papyri leaves that had been squashed flat and dried and people would write on. But very hard to come by and very expensive. But this eunuch had made his trip from Ethiopia to Jerusalem in a chariot and had somehow acquired a scroll from Isaiah. And he was reading this passage and he didn't understand. He didn't have a clue what it meant. And he was wanting to know. So God takes Philip and transports him over to this and tells him, go to this chariot. And so Philip says, the eunuch asked Philip, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. The text goes on and says, And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord raptured Philip away. Literally, the word is harpazo, to snatch. The same word used in 1 Thessalonians where Paul says that the Lord himself will appear from heaven and he will snatch away the church. And where he is, we will be with him. Same word. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his own way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Astos, that would be Ashdod, by the way, back in the Old Testament. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. By the way, you can go all the way over to Acts chapter 21, and Philip is still there preaching. He was known as the evangelist because Philip was quite the speaker. 
But nevertheless, here we come to this crossroad, this story of a divine appointment where Philip was in the midst of what some people would call a great revival and God pulls him out and takes him to witness to this one man because God had a divine appointment. Now, what are some lessons we learn from this that are very practical for our life? I want to share just a few with you. First of all, God is always at work arranging divine appointments. Now, sometimes we may think as we look at our culture and we watch our news and we see things that are happening, we think this in our own mind. God is not working. God is finished. God is through. Listen to me, folks. Nothing could be further from the truth. God is working all the time. God is working in people's lives and hearts that you and I have no clue about. He is working. He creates a restlessness inside them. He creates a longing inside them where they realize there's something great they're missing. And He causes them to seek. And He opens their hearts. Sometimes God brings disappointments into people's life. Sometimes God allows tragedy in people's lives. Sometimes God allows loneliness. God uses all kinds of different ways to get people's attention. And then He begins to till the soil of their heart. And this is where you and I come in. As God's messengers, we should be aware of divine appointments. And when we see people asking, when we see people longing, when we see people seeking, we should step through the door. We save no one. Only God does that. We are simply messengers. I was reading this week about God using unusual means to bring people to salvation. And one man wrote this. He said, Charles Spurgeon, the famous England preacher, tells of a man who once went to a chapel to listen to the singing, but he did not want to hear the preaching. So as soon as the pastor began speaking and the choir quit, the man put his fingers in his ear. Can you imagine? After a while, an insect landed on his face and the pastor read the scripture, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. The man suddenly pulled his fingers from unplugging his ears and listened and God met him at that point and he ended up accepting Christ as his Savior. Very interesting how God arranges certain situations. God also arranges plans for people to get saved. In Acts chapter 9, Paul the Apostle is converted on his way to persecute. Flip over to Acts chapter 16 very quick. I don't have time to go into this, but I'm going to point it out to you so you can read it. There are three stories in Acts chapter 16 of different people who get saved. First of all is a woman named Lydia. God is said to open her heart. Then there is a slave girl who was being used in trade. And then there was the Philippian jailer, a military man used to guard a prison. And God used different circumstances in all of their lives in which these people encountered the Lord. He had already worked in Lydia's heart, the text says, to make her a seeker. And he was working in the slave girl because she was on the streets and had no knowledge of God. God just brought Paul and the messengers into her life. And then the hardened jailer, he was saved in connection with a great earthquake. Three conversions, three different circumstances, three ways that God worked. Different people, different backgrounds, different circumstances. But they were all divine appointments. 
never forget, God is still working. God is still working. We have two people sitting here this morning. I hope you get to know them. God created a restlessness in their heart and life. They wanted to know if there was more. And each one of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, we've all been there. And this afternoon, they're going to walk into the waters of baptism and show you publicly that they have accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as the payment for their eternal life. Wonderful story. Can you remember the day when that happened to you? We're here to celebrate this. Thank God He is still working. And I wish I had time to sit here and tell you what God is doing in the Middle East. Some of you contribute to our program, the National Theological College and Graduate School, or Baptist Equipment Nationals. I can't speak for every mission organization because I'm not as intimately involved. But what I can tell you is this. Throughout the Middle East, God is doing something amazing. We're also in East Africa, down in Uganda, and that part of the world. Listen to me, folks. People in that region are saying that they are going to become the new America. God is saving so many people down there. They are now planning to send missionaries back to the United States. Because they see the West failing and falling. And they see the East being converted by masses. God is greatly at work. And we should rejoice that God has not quit. And when one person says no, God just moves to another region and begins to move. But he hasn't finished here. So don't give up. A second lesson that we need to learn, and I think this one is very, very, very prominent, is that seeds of faith take time to sprout, but eventually they will sprout. Now what caused this eunuch to want to go from Ethiopia up to Jerusalem to the temple to worship? You know, back in that day, there weren't local churches all over the place. There was only one temple in Jerusalem, and this is where people had to travel if they wanted to meet the God of Israel. He wasn't everywhere. He was in a localized place in Israel. Now, when you think about this, here he travels all the way up here, and providentially he gets this scroll in Isaiah. Very interesting. Did somebody hand that to him? Did he buy it? We don't know the story. It's a good question I want to ask when I get into heaven, don't you, when I meet this guy. How did you get that? And how did you know to read right there? But nevertheless, somehow or another, the seeds were planted and this man was being responsive as they began to sprout in his heart. How many times has this happened to you when you talk to someone? Someone could make a statement to them or say a phrase or a word, and it would lodge down deep in their soul, and they could never get it out. Never. I can remember talking to people, and they say, well, I heard someone say this, and it's almost like God took that and etched it in their heart, and He caused restlessness in them until they responded to that. This emptiness, this, this anxiety, this need to know what is stirring in their heart. And our responsibility, folks, we are seed sowers. We are simply to share the message of the good news of Jesus Christ with people. We don't, we don't knock them over the head. We don't beat them. We can't answer all their questions. We can't solve all their problems. We are just messengers. And a messenger is just there to deliver a message. 
And we have the best news ever, by the way. We have the best news ever. We can actually offer to people what God gave to us, and that is eternal life through Jesus. By believing in Him. That's all He asks us to do. No work required. No money given. No altar to walk or to kneel down on. Right there in your heart. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. We are to sow the seed. Let God do the watering and let God do the harvesting. We just are messengers. A third lesson we learn is this. God opens doors and prepares hearts even when we are unaware. You know, very interestingly, God's timing is not always our timing, is it? God's plans are not our plans. But this is exactly how God works. And He opens these doors into people's lives and gives us avenues. And we have no clue what's going on. The same thing was true with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Here he was doing ministry somewhere. And all of a sudden the Lord tells him, go here. Now oftentimes I wish God would be that clear with me. I want you to go here. I want you to do that. But instead God expects us to do what? To be observant. To be listening. To be sensitive. Have you ever been sensitive? Have you ever got up in the morning and prayed, Lord... I pray today that you'd lead someone into my life that I could tell about you. I don't want to get into hostile conflict. I just want to be able to explain your eternal life to them. And if they're there and you would want to use me, Father, I pray that you would do that. And if you do that and you're sensitive, you would be surprised at the opportunities that God gives us. Not high confrontational. I'm talking about just casual conversation to explain the gospel, the good news to people, and to share faith. God just wants us to be willing to open our mouth to share what He's done in our heart and life. And we need to be able and willing to do that. He opens these doors for us. And never say, folks, by the way, never say, God is shut out of the schools. God is shut out of the workplace. God is shut out of America. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Are you a, are you a believer? Are you saved? You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Then God's not shut out. Because if you're there, He's there. And He's working. And sometimes God works in mysterious ways, and sometimes He works in obvious ways. But don't ever think that God is not there. He is, and He's working, and He's preparing hearts. So be ready. And then we must be ready to share whenever the opportunity strikes. Now, can you imagine if Philip would have answered and said, Lord, I'm afraid to talk to this man. He might reject me. Or, Lord, I don't like riding in chariots. I'm allergic to horses or, you know, something like that. You imagine the excuses that he could have come up with, but, but he didn't. He didn't. What did he do? Philip, go to the chariot. And what did Philip do? He arose and he went. And what does the Lord tell us when opportunity strikes? Go. Go. Actually, the passage Zach read this morning is, as you are going. It is assuming that we are living our life on mission. As you are going. You know, make disciples. 
That means share the gospel with people. Tell them about the eternal life of Jesus. After they believe, baptize them and teach them all that I command you. And I'm with you in this mission that you're on until the end of the age. Go do it. As you're going, do this. I'm with you. And we have to be willing and ready to share whenever this opportunity arises. A funny story is back in John chapter 4. When Jesus talks about needing to go to Samaria. And the disciples, by the way, they're hungry. They're ready to go to Burger King. And Jesus tells them, I I have food to eat that you know not of. I'm going to go somewhere. You all go get something to eat. So they wandered away. Jesus goes through Samaria. And he catches this woman sitting by a well. He walks over to her and he asks her, "Uh, you have any water? And, you know, of course, she's looking at him. She says, aren't you a Jew? Jews don't talk to Samaritans. And she said, well, I can get you some water. And he said, well, if you knew who was talking to you, you'd ask him for water. He'd give you water you'd never thirst again. And this woman says, well, I, I think you're a prophet. You know, you know our, my family's religious too. Uh, we worship over on this mountain, and you Jews worship on that mountain. Jesus went, stop it. Woman, you don't know what you worship. But there's coming an hour and a day in which... All people who want to worship the Son will worship Him in spirit and truth. And she says, well, I'd like to know about that. He said, well, then go get your husband. And she said, uh, I, don't, I don't have a husband right now. And he said, oh, yeah, that's right, you have seven. And the one you're living with now, he's not your husband either. And she went, oh, boy. Jesus explained who he was graciously as God does with sinners. Aren't you glad of this? He offered her eternal life and she believed. And she went back into her town. You should read the rest of this account. She goes back into her town and she said, I want you all to meet a man who told me all I have ever done and still gave me eternal life. You know what the passage goes on to say? Many in that town believed. Many believed. She took advantage of her opportunity. She told people what happened to her. And that story is so convicting in our life. We should be as thankful as she is about what we have. Did you know that? And we should take advantage. A fifth lesson we should learn is this. We need to be able to explain certain scriptures with people to show them how to have eternal life. Now, if someone came to you and asked you, What must I do to be saved? What would you do? Would you be able to open up God's word and point to a passage and say, this is what God says you must do? Now, guess what my sermon is next week? I'm going to give you three central passages in the gospel of John that you can point to to take your finger and put them down in your heart and your mind and point right straight to them. This is not your word. You're just a messenger. You're going to point and show them this is what you must do in order to have eternal life based on the words of Jesus. So next week, okay, don't don't miss it. That's what I'm going to show you. It's going to be so easy, you're going to think it was from God. You want to know why? It is. It is. And I'll talk more to you about that. We make things so hard, don't we? Really, all we have to do is just open the Word, let them read the Word for themselves, 
let the Holy Spirit take God's Word and use it in their heart and life. And if it's the time for them to believe, they'll believe. If it's not the time for them to believe, then seeds will be planted. But can you imagine if this eunuch came to Philip and said, this passage, what does it mean? He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and he didn't open his mouth. Can you imagine if Philip would have went, well, you know what, I don't know who that's talking about. I've never seen that before. Uh, what, I, I have no clue. Isaiah 53 was John 3.16 back in that day. God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whosoever, what, you all say it loud, believes in Him, should not perish, but has eternal life. That's present tense, by the way. You have it. The moment you believe, you have it. Not you have to wonder about it, or see if you're a good person the rest of your life, or see whether or not you produce a lot of fruit in your life. Or see whether you're faithful. No, that's not what it says. It says, he who believes has everlasting life. We have confused the gospel so much. I'm sorry, I have to say this. We've confused it so much that some people go to their grave and never even know if they have eternal life. God does not want you living like that. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, what does it say? These things have I written that you may know that you have eternal life. So I'm pretty sure God wants us to know that we have it now in the person of Jesus. And you know what? That brings assurance in life. You know, I have, so many Christians, folks, listen to me, are so confused about the gospel and about eternal life and what it means that they stagger and wander through life fearful. Fearful that they don't have it. The determiner of your destiny is whether or not you believe on Jesus for eternal life. That is it. Not your works, nothing about you, not what you do. It's about, have you accepted, have you believed in Him? Period. Muddle it up anymore, you've added to God's Word. Now, after you're born into the family, then what happens? Now you're responsible as a son to be faithful. And God tells us, be obedient as my child and I'll reward you. Eternal rewards. You're not working for your salvation. You're working out your salvation. In response of God's free gift of grace in your life, now you respond by being an obedient child that wants to walk in fellowship with Him. And God, in turn, rewards us for an eternal reward in the future based upon our life here. Not for our salvation, but because of it. Okay? I'll clear that up next week. This is so central, though. Where, I gave you one passage. Where would you turn to show somebody how to have eternal life? John 3.16 is a great place to start. I'm going to give you two more next week and explain all the way through them and teach you what they are and show you how to present that And then this summer, share that with somebody. Let them read it. The best best thing to do is open it up and let them read it. What does this say? What must you do? And then what does God promise? But we need to be able to explain certain scriptures with people to show them how. Show them how. And then leave the rest to God.
A sixth lesson is this. The preparation of the human heart comes this way. First of all, God begins to draw people. Now, I know this might startle some people. I told you in the very first point that God is actively working. He has divine appointments. Please don't try to explain this. I've seen people try to explain this and mess everything up. As one person said, you know, the election, drawing, conviction is God's business. Believing is your business. Okay? So mind your own business. That's the best way I know how to say it. Don't ask me to explain. I don't know how exactly God does this thoroughly. I know that sometimes He uses the Word of God to plant seeds in people's life. Sometimes, folks, listen, God uses circumstances. And He creates a restlessness in someone's heart and He begins to to draw them in. Do you know that some students, now I know some of you are going to think I'm a heretic, Please hear me. I don't know whether to validate this or not. It wasn't mine. Some of our Middle Eastern students claim they have seen dreams, visions. And they explain it vividly. They didn't get saved because of that. But they say that this happened to them. I have listened to them. Now, what do we say? By the way, I am a cessationist. What does that mean? That means I don't believe that that God's normal way of operating is through visions and dreams and divine encounters. I don't believe that that's the way God normally works. It's never happened to me. But listen carefully. As a cessationist, I say, but I'm not the fourth member of the Trinity. And, And I don't tell God what he can and can't do. That's God's business. My business is to be a messenger. Share God's word, share God's truth, help people answer questions, do what I can't, serve people. But I was never in the the divine council trinity to tell what's going to happen and what's not. But what I do know is this, God takes his word and he uses his word and he uses different things in people's lives to create this stirring within them. And then he begins to draw them. He prepares their heart and he draws them in. And then he wants the messenger of God to share the word of God. And then supernaturally, the spirit of God does this work in the person's heart. The moment they believe, boom, it's called regeneration. Regeneration. It means to give birth, to give life. They're saved. Now listen, regeneration does not precede believing. What do I mean by that? You listen to a lot of preachers, and a lot of preachers will say, this is how it works. God zaps you, and then He causes you to believe, and then you accept and believe, and then you can be saved. No, that's not how they work. Scripture presents them as happening at the same time. The divine plan works with the human heart, and they both take place at the same time. It's like a quarter, heads or tails. Which part is the coin? They both are. Just same side of a coin. Boom, it happens. Word of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ, the person accepts and believes, boom, they're born again. And then what happens to them? I'll talk about this next week. The moment a person believes, several things happen. They are regenerated. They are indwelt. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside them. They are placed into the body of Christ. We call this the baptism of the Spirit. 
you are all baptized by one spirit into one body. You become part of the, the body of Christ. I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating experience that happens. You don't feel these things necessarily. Sometimes you do, maybe. But this occurs. But this is God's work. We are simply messengers of the good news of eternal life through Jesus. And then notice the last lesson we learn. I've touched on this briefly. But it says that after Philip shared the gospel with his eunuch, he was snatched away or carried away. He was carried away and then he found himself in another place. Do you know that God's word lays out a plan of what he's doing in this age? We are... In Christ, we are part of His body. Jesus says that we are all members of His body, all believers from the day of Pentecost until this time when He returns in the air. But just as He snatched Philip away and put him in a different place, one day there's going to be a great catching away. Now, I can tell you right now how this is going to be explained in Western secular news media. You want to know how it's going to be? Listen to me. The aliens have come back and got us. Now, 15 years ago, I would have laughed straight in your face and told you that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. I wouldn't laugh today. People believe more in the fact that there are aliens who are going to come and catch humans and take them away than they believe that whosoever believes will have eternal life. They believe it more than they do the gospel. But according to God's word, and I'm not making this up, by the way, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you can turn there if you want to. Some of you may know it. I did not put this on the screen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the apostle Paul writes to believers who have lost loved ones, and this is what he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be harpazo. We will be snatched up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord." Therefore, comfort one another, encourage one another with these words. God's promise for the church, which we often call the blessed hope, is the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, for His church. Now, I want you to hear me for a moment. I've tried everything I can in my intellectual and scholarly power to deny a rapture. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You cannot do it and be honest with the text. You can, you can talk about the timing of this, and you can debate that. I would say it would be before the tribulation period. Some people want to say it's after. They, they'll, they'll be fine. I always tell people, please don't argue with people about this. The moment we're snatched up in the cloud, you can go, I told you. 
I told you so. You spent your whole life telling, I told you so. The bottom line is this. At the Lord's coming, those of us who are alive and remain, we're going to be snatched up. Now listen to me, folks. If, if that is not true, then you can't trust John 3.16. This is an all or nothing deal. You don't take pieces of God's word and say, <clears throat> well, that's inspired. Uh, that, I, I, can't, <clears throat> I can't understand that, so that can't be. No, that's not how it works. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. For doctrine, that's to teach you what to believe. For reproof, that's to teach you what when you do something wrong. No, no. For correction, <clears throat> how to do something right. And for for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be mature, thoroughly equipped for every good Christian work in life. This, this book is practical for your life and is valuable and will teach you how to have eternal life and how to live in such a way you can earn eternal rewards and please and glorify God. That's what this book does. And one day... All of God's children who are alive and remain at His coming, boom, will be taken up. That quick. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, in a moment, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, just like that, boom, we're gone. Gone. My favorite theology professor tells the story of how he got saved. Let me tell you. He was a Marine, a cigar-smoking Marine who went to Piedmont, came, came to the campus smoking a big stogie. Dr. Stevens came out and he said, Bobin, put that cigar out. What are you doing? He said, well, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be smoking that cigar on campus. He said, if you're going to smoke that thing, go off the campus. Dr. Bowman met this wonderful lady named Lucille, his wife. Lucille was a believer. She took Dr. Bowman to a church where he, he never heard this before. The pastor preached on this, and he said, one day, Jesus is going to return, and guess what? He's going to take his people home. Well, Hoyle Bowman began to let this sink in his heart, and he said, I don't know whether I should believe that or not. He tells the story that one day, he came back home, and Lucille had taken her clothes and laid them across the bed. She just laid them across the bed. He walked in the room, Lucille... Lucille, you had to know Dr. Bowman. He'd get lost. He'd get lost with a map and a GPS right in front of him. Lucille, where, where are you? He said he walked in the bedroom and saw her clothes laying on the bed. Now listen to this. He said, I looked down and saw her clothes and I thought she had been taken away and I was left. He said, from that moment on, he said, I could not rest. You know what he did? He went and found what he needed to do in order to settle that emptiness, that restlessness in him. And he was wondrously converted. Taught at Piedmont for years. Taught more people theology than you could imagine. Wonderful story. But here's my point. God used that to show him that one day he's going to come back for him. And I want you to know something. One day he's going to come back for me. And you and us. But will you be there? Will you be in that great snatching away? Well, it all depends on what you've done with Jesus. Have you believed on him for eternal life? 
John 5, 24, what does it say? Truly, truly, I say unto you, he who hears my words and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life. The Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. What have you done with that message? You must respond to it. To say that you don't believe is responding. To say that you're not going to make a choice of that, you have responded. But one day when Jesus comes back for his bride, he will take those who are his own and the rest will remain. And then they'll enter into a time known as the Great Tribulation Period. And we studied about that on Sunday nights here at Trinity. Not a very pleasant time to be left on earth. Now God doesn't say that, you know, to scare you. People say, well, are you trying to scare people? You know what? I'm just a messenger. Take it, take it how you wish. If it doesn't put the fear of God in you, then I don't know what else will. It's not going to be a very pleasant time, but you know that decision is totally up to you. What are you going to do with Jesus? Will you believe on him for eternal life, or are you just going to trust in yourself? I'm good at I'll get it done. I'll, I'll wait. I'll, you know. I don't know. All I can tell you is he's coming back. And when he comes, he's going to take his own. And I want to make sure I go. And I hope you do too. So basically, the learning lesson of the day is this. Jesus arranges divine appointments in all of our lives. And he gives us an opportunity to respond. And we have the privilege to share the good news with everybody around us. And we should take full advantage of that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, please? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody peeking or looking around. I just want to talk to your heart for a minute. I've done the best job that I can to explain to you what God says you must do to have eternal life. You have to believe on Jesus for eternal life. Maybe you came this morning and you've never made that decision in your life. You've never placed your faith, your trust in Jesus and what he's done for you. You can do that today, right where you are, right in your seat right now. Just by saying something like this, Dear, dear Father, I see today that you gave Jesus to die on the cross, to pay for my sin, to offer me the free gift of eternal life. And I believe that he did that. And I believe that he is my Savior. I want him to be my Savior. And I trust what you say in your word to give me right now eternal life. And if you're willing to do that right where you are, God will save you. For those watching us online, you can do it right where you are. You don't have to walk a church aisle. You don't have to kneel down. You don't have to have anybody pray with you. This is a decision that you make right where you are between God's spirit and your spirit. And you can believe on him for eternal life. So, Father, I pray that many would do that and accept Jesus as Savior. To receive the gift of eternal life. Thank you for that wonderful, wonderful gift and this blessed message that you give us to share with others. Help us to do that. Be with us today as we go and celebrate those who have accepted Christ for eternal life. As they walk into the waters of baptism to express their trust in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We're so excited. Thank you for this wonderful message. 
And thank you for the gift that you're coming back for us today, or one day, but you give us eternal life today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.